0: The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio.
1: My way to Shiawassee tonight, I was on the phone with Amber Newton. And Amber's a good friend of mine. Um, Everybody knows me and Amber are close. I think Amber's like one of my best friends at this point. You know, we've been through some stuff together on cases and stuff. And I said to Amber, how do you feel about Chris Brown? And she said to me, I really hope and pray that he makes it through. And I don't want to wish this on anybody because his life and career is in jeopardy right now. I don't think the whole story is being told.
0: This is your cell. This is your
2: bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios, here's attorney Bill Amadeo.
1: Alright, Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo, and Grable and Associates, and tonight, junior year of high school, the mock trial team, something that changed my life. And we're going to break through some criminal topics, and for those of you that are in my inner circle, you know it's been a rough couple weeks, and I do appreciate The texts and the phone calls and all that. Um, Things are under control. You know, sometimes in life, you just don't always get dealt a straight flush. You got to fight through those times. You know, and sometimes you're involved in a case that means so much to you. It fucking hurts. It's how bad you want to win, it's how bad you want justice. And, you know, somewhere along the line, I think we forget who we are. We're creatures of learned behavior, you know. As defense lawyers, we tend to believe everybody's innocent. As prosecutors, we tend to believe everybody's guilty. Somewhere along the line, the truth gets lost in the way. And that's sad, you know, but that's what we're here for. We take our stations in life, and for me, one of the things that really led me down this path was my junior year of high school. Junior year was rough. You know, my first two years of high school, going to school in Atlantic City High, it was different because the white kids went one way and the minority kids went the other way. We were poor and white, so we went the way of the minority kids, and the school was extremely segregated. And there was an influence I had. Dolores Gandia. Gandhi. Miss Gandia was my English teacher my sophomore year. And my journalism teacher, sophomore, junior, and senior year. Miss Gandia was a black woman whose last name was Gandia, who grew up in Virginia. And she was one of the toughest people I've ever come across in my life. And she was quite an influence on me. And things were different. Um, after sophomore year, she pulled me to the side. And she said, I want you to go to Advanced Placement English. Teacher didn't like me from day one. She basically told me I wasn't good enough to be in her class. And in the class was all the vetner and Margate kids. What a group of ass. she failed me in my first quarter and it made no sense why she failed me I had all my work done in on time all the multiple choices great she didn't like my writing so I went after school and said well what's going on with my writing I don't understand how can I be a better writer and she basically said you know you should just go to average classes you shouldn't be in my class and part of me was frustrated about that but Miss Gandia said well look She's going to hurt your GPA for college. Go back down to average English. She goes, we'll deal with this another way. You know, in junior year was was really a coming-of-age thing, you know. There was this one girl from our game. We couldn't, like, go to the prom together or anything. She laid out some ground rules that, you know, my family was poor and this and that. So, in essence, we could hook up behind closed doors, but she could already be seeing me in public, and I, I didn't take well to that. Because right there, it was kind of like a learned behavior thing. It was gonna be the haves versus the have-nots, and we were like in a cast system, and my family was put into the have-nots. And there was a new teacher, history teacher, Keith Gradziel, great guy and he was going to coach the mock trial team now at Atlantic City High in the 90s the mock trial team was really a big deal it was something to behold and everybody on the mock trial team were wealthy kids um wealthy kids Jewish kids from Ventnor and Margate Uh, I wasn't one of them and grad said to me, I want you to try out for the team. Now, I'm an average student. I only care about baseball at this point in my life. <sighs> I wasn't going to try out for the team. Because now I want you to try out for this team. Now, there were a ton of people that tried out. When I went there to the tryout, it was really, it was fascinating. I remember... um. Just one kid from Ventnor. Anthony Bucaferni. He wasn't on the team or anything like that. Anthony never liked me. I always thought he was a prick in high school. But he was running crew that year. And he kind of laughed. because, oh, you're trying out for a mock trial. Let's see how that goes. And there was Ben Payloff and Lori Seropoulos and Rob Middleton. I like Robbie Middleton. All these brains. The leader was this kid named Elliot Geller. Oh, what an ass. Elliot Geller's father was a rabbi from Margate. And Elliot had no love loss for me. He didn't want me trying out for mock trial. He was very clear about that. I think he made comments like, You're not one of us. Thank God for that, bro. What he meant by one of us. I never wanted to be the Margate ass. But they didn't want me on this team. And I tried out and somehow I made mock trial. But I don't wanna do it. It's gonna interfere with baseball. Now it's possible at this point Aunt Mayor realized baseball was not gonna be my future. I don't know. But to my aunt who raised me like my mother, and my mom who was like my big sister, This was this, like, badge of honor, you know. Here's this poor Italian kid from the ghetto of Ducktown, and he made the mock trial team. A lot of elite Jewish wealthy students from Margate, brains from Vantner, did not make this team, and I made this team. And on paper, it didn't make sense. And I enjoyed the practice, but I couldn't stand the people on the team at the time. And it's funny how winning kind of cures some things, but we'll, we'll get into that. This was a day that kind of changed my life forever. We had practice. And we practiced on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And one of the problems with that was I'd go home really late. And it would be it was dangerous to go home in my neighborhood late. It really was. They were, they were tough times. And... Elliot Geller said to me, we don't want you. We want you gone. We want you out. You don't belong here. You never should have made this team. And there was a bunch of them on the team that were standing by Elliot. Like, yeah, get rid of him. Now, at this point in life, I didn't want to be there in the first place. I really didn't. I was really good at it. I had this knack, this talent, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But, um, I didn't want to be there. I told him to fuck himself, and I went to get my stuff. Now, here's where fate or destiny kind of kicks in, you know. Some things are meant to be. I don't know. Sometimes I think things are beyond our control. I went down to the journalism room, the Viking that Miss Gandia always had. That was her room, it was her office, her classroom, whatever. And what I would do is I would leave my stuff downstairs at a key to the Viking. And I'm walking down from mock trial practice. And I go get my stuff. And there's Gandhi, she's working late, which was not unusual. She goes, Amadea, what are you doing? She goes, you have mock trial practice. And I'm like, now I quit. She goes, what do you mean you quit? And I told her how about me and Elliot Geller. And she looked at me and she goes, listen to me. You are not going to get the- out of the ghetto with baseball You're going to do it by being an amazing lawyer Get up there now And I said Gandhi. I want to go home I don't want to deal with this shit I don't want to deal with them And she grabbed me by my neck <laughs> In a move That I'm sure would have been deemed CPS violence today She grabbed me by the neck And she threw me against the wall she goes, You're gonna go to back up there. You're gonna tell them to go fuck themselves, and you're gonna be the best motherfucker on that team. She goes, You're going to do this. And now I'm kind of like, What do I do? Being beaten, shot at, stabbed, potentially raped was scary stuff. Losing the love and respect of Miss Gandia was far more scary than any of the physical violence I had to endure. So I go back up to mock trial. And Geller is sitting there and he's like, what are you doing back? We told you to leave. I said, like, yourself. I'm not going anywhere. And we just stared at each other. And I stayed on the mock trial team. And that year we won the state championship. The next year we made it to like the state finals. And I think in every, um, what they did is you were prosecution or defense or playing over defense, however it went, but you didn't know what side you were going to be on. If you were gonna get cold, if your side or the other side was gonna get cold, it was a flip of the coin. And in my junior and senior year, Of high school in every competition I was ever in, we never lost. I became dominant in law because Miss Gandia made me go upstairs. I remember um, when Gandhi passed away, which was right after my senior year, and I gave it a eulogy at her funeral. I told this story. All I could say is I don't know where my life would be today if it wasn't for Dolores Gandia. I know that I wanted to go home. I know that I had enough, but I knew I couldn't let her down. She changed me that day. I always had balls, you know, but this was a different type of courage. This was like throwing a different level weight on your back. The easy thing to do that day was to go home. Deal with some from my aunt. Deal with some disappointment from Miss Candy. The tough thing, the manly thing, was to go to back up there, tell them to go themselves then become the best player on the f***ing team. And by the way, Ventner and more gators out there, I know you'll debate that. Who was the best one on the team? Let me tell you, there's been some successful people from that mock trial team, and everybody on that team except for me was born and bred for success. How many of the mock trial team are elite successful lawyers today. I'm, I'm curious, do you want to take a poll? Because there's three of us that become lawyers. Let's be clear. It's one thing to be a good high school football player. It's another thing to be a good college football player. It's a whole different animal to be a fucking amazing professional player. So for all the that may be said, and by the way, there's some interesting questions that came in from Vantner and Margate. And I'll answer them. Crudely, coldly, and honestly. I get a lot of for being who I am. you know. And I know, I care for cases too much. I do this, I do that. But you know, when fear is not a circuit court, Fear is not an attorney general threatening you. Fear is walking home in Ducktown in the 90s. Fear is having your house next to Pitney Village. Fear is getting raped by Trump Plaza. Fear, among all things, is letting Dolores Scandia down. Miss Scandia changed my f***ing life that day, and I can never repay her for that. If I did not go back up there and face the aggravation, I won't call it fear. If I didn't go up there and face that aggravation, I wouldn't here today. It wouldn't happen. So, Gandhi, I miss you. I think about you all the time. I'm always grateful you're watching over me. Junior year was rough, but junior year set the tone for the rest of my life. Don't ever let somebody steal your talent. John Chaney was a great basketball coach at Temple. He always said, have your own identity. So Law was my identity. It was my identity at 16 years old. I'm a 16-year-old poor kid living next to f***ing Pitney Village, and Miss Gandia sold it. my f***ing identity was Law, and she was not going to let some mother from Margie, who thought they were better than me, take that identity away.
2: The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio.
1: I could tell you when we went to the national championship in Georgia, how everybody went out and I was the only one not invited to these parties. I could tell you how I was alone in my room just studying game film, if you will. I'm pretty sure I missed the socialization part. But I also wonder if I did have that socialization part, would it take away some of my edge? I'm not gonna trade my edge for anything. Now, have a bunch of questions that have been sent to me. And I wanna go through them. What I've learned as we evolve with this whole podcast and Facebook Live thing is the reality is that the questions people are asking should really be the topic. So I'm gonna try to adjust to that can you explain phone dumps to us sure so a phone dump happens when somebody is accused of a crime and the police feel there is evidence on the phone now what some crooked officers will do is they'll try to get consent from a kid who doesn't know they can say no you should make them get a warrant Next thing you should do when you get a phone dump is fight to get the phone back. Then you want to get an expert from the Michigan State Police Department who will bring text messages back to life. Because what you want to do, guys, if the phone went to the police, is show did the police actually violate that dump? Did they violate the dump? And if they did, then we have a fruit of poisonous tree argument. So let's keep that in mind. Phone dumps happen in two ways. Either you consent to have somebody check your phone, or a warrant's done for your phone. But you are entitled to your phone. You got to fight to get that thing back. Not an easy task. Here's where the police things get tricky. The police can use mischaracterization. In essence, the police can lie to get to the truth. We see this with entrapment hearings. Um, we see this with pretext phone calls. A pretext phone call is when an officer will actually have somebody read a script to try and get a confession out of you. Um, we see this with polygraphs all the time. You know, the police will say, "We understand what's happening here. We're here to help. Understand something." You should never talk to the cops without a lawyer, ever. Let's start with that. But when the police lie to get to the truth, that becomes an interesting theory to present to the jury. But the cops can lie to you with no repercussions. Now, they can't hide evidence, they can't compromise text messages, but they can verbally lie to you. You really have to go after that officer on the stand if and when that happens. There's actually no penalty for verbal lies to a defendant. Uh, Next question. My uncle is facing 25 years to life. He made a confession. Well, he didn't actually make a confession. The police signed a confession for him. And he initialed it. Here's what I think you meant to say. And I could talk more about this privately with you. What I'm guessing, and I'm sure you were emotional when you sent the email, is that the police actually wrote out a confession. He initialed it. See it all the time. Here's the thing, don't ever make a confession. The most powerful tool a prosecutor has is a confession. You confess, you're basically signing your death warrant. We have a joke at our firms, if there's under three confessions, we feel good about our case third confession, fourth, <laughs> really hurts things. But the question becomes what is a confession? Was it coerced? I know there's this one Michigan State Police polygrapher, an ass of two first names, who likes to create confessions for people, and poor souls, sign it. It was really good to stick it up his they usually get a case dismissed on him when he pulled this shit. But he really, it wasn't what I wanted. I want to beat his ass at trial, but he kind of ran with his tail between his legs and wouldn't answer my emails. What you'll see a lot of times with cops that write confessions for people is they'll usually lawyer up and won't have the balls to talk to you themselves. So if you're fucking watching, you are a fucking pussy. And I would never let anybody do a polygraph with you. And I hope to God one day we get to go against each other. In Bumblefuck, where my case was dismissed, that crazy little prosecutor did everything in her power to make sure you didn't go against me on cross-examination. By the way, if you want to know where the guy who did the written confession is right now, I think he's at dinner or a movie. So enjoy that. He's not on the sex registry. He's not in jail. He's not in prison, despite the average you piece of shit. And when you write confessions for people, Poor idiots do not know the criminal justice system will sign their fucking life away. Do not agree to anything you didn't do. And if you make a confession, there's ways around it, but it's the most powerful tool you can give a prosecutor. Confessions can come verbally. They come by nodding your head. They could come from pre miranda silence. They could come when some asshole writes down their words and you sign off on it. First thing the judge is going to say, if they didn't do it, why did they sign it? Fair question, right? Really fair question. Don't do it. Question, what happens when the prosecutors don't tell you about the evidence? Well, that becomes a potential motion of dismiss. And the individual who wrote that, that is going to be one of the motions that are going to be filed on that particular individual's case. Um, Discovery is an ongoing process, which means they can keep supplementing their evidence, but they can't actually hide evidence. And in the particular situation you're referring to, there was an accusation that there's more evidence out there that was not received by defense counsel um, it could lead to a dismissal or a very beneficial plea. So stay tuned on that. Can you explain hypothesis testing? Okay. This is really big in CSC cases. Um, hypothesis testing is basically using an analogy. You're trying to create a hypothetical through impeachment to test to basically test the officer when there is no physical evidence. What we're really looking at in those scenarios is similar situations where maybe the officer didn't do all their homework or they did their work differently. You wanna do a hypothesis of what's been done in other cases to try to discredit the individual making the accusation. Hypothesis testing is a very huge thing. And I would say 95% of lawyers don't know what the f- it is, so Make sure you know what that is, especially in CSC litigation. Was involved in a car accident. I was not at fault. I did not have my driver's license. The prosecutor is charged with a 15-year felony. What advice do you have? Okay, number one, what county are we in? That's a county-specific question, and we could talk more about that privately. Number two, yeah, I think you want to use Tim Brown as an accent reconstructionist. I know there's a lawyer I did some work with, Danielle Cattare, who knows a really great reconstructionist. What you have to do, guys, is try to recreate the scenario, and you have to go through Dahlberg hearings and such, but you need to show the jury there's another theory behind the case was it a dirt road, were there cameras, were there this, were there that. In essence, you are creating enough scenario for the jury to try to bite into. You're trying to give Cretus that term reasonable doubt. What do you think about civil litigation and criminal litigation as companions? Okay, well, here's the deal. Whenever somebody sues civilly before a criminal case is done. It's great impeachment material, because the motive is money. We're talking about the motive being financial. Obviously, if there's a guilty verdict, the alleged victim slash witnesses have, we're gonna benefit financially. Um, Civil litigation prior to the criminal aspect, that's something a good defense lawyer will use to their advantage. My loved one has been found guilty and he wants to appeal, what should he say at allocution? Okay. Sentencing. If there's been a guilty verdict. I've only been there a couple times in my career. It's not a fun place to be. Your client needs to shut the up. This is a young lawyer who sent this. Um, and I know the case, I know it's your loved one, and I know it's what you're phrasing. but I know what case this is. And I know you're the attorney on the case, and we're going to keep it, keep your name out of this, but listen to me. You've got to put a gag order on your client. From what I understand, the defendant has several great appealable issues. If they apologize or say something they think is going to help them, And it gets construed as an admission you're going to burn your appellate issues i once had a case (laughs) i had this case i was doing for a friend got a friend of a friend got stiffed on it blah 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 had a great deal on the table this guy made confession after confession and he he had his problems The jury came back with one not guilty and one guilty verdict. And I told him, I said, you have 12 amazing appealable issues. Shut up at sentencing. Don't say a word. And he says at sentencing. Did I rape that bitch? No. Did I threaten to slit her throat? Yes. I threatened to kill her, yes. How's that going to look at the Court of Appeals, bro? No matter how hurt you may be over a verdict like that, say to the judge, your honor, thank you, I have nothing to say this time. If the judge hammers you, they hammer you, okay? But if you're looking to create an appeal, silence is golden, guys. Do not allocute. Let your lawyer allocute, but do not allocute in a situation which is going to hurt your chances to win your freedom back. If you're in that appellate zone, less is more. Shut the fuck up. Next question, how do you do a proper sentencing? Okay. We're talking state court, federal court. What county are we talking? There are a cobs agreement in place. There are a kill brew in place. There's probation trying to blow you up. There's a lot that goes into that. Let me be clear on this, though. You should always do a sentencing memo on a felony sentence. Federally, you have to do a sentencing memo. A sentencing memo is something that tells the jury, sorry, tells the judge there's something more to the story. You try to put your client in a good light. Now, sometimes your client is not going to help themselves. You've got to prep them. And then, after you it, you gotta hope, hey, listen, I told you everything to say and do. Hope they follow through with it. If you're at a sentence, and it's on a plea, be humble, be contrary, let your lawyer do the talking, have a good sentencing memo, have letters of support. That's how that plays out. That's in a nutshell, okay? What do you think of video sentencing? Okay. Um. This is a topic Ashley DuPlessis and I talked about today, actually. Um, Ashley DuPlessis is a great young lawyer, Wayne County area. And she has a sentencing coming up and she's doing a video sentencing. I always feel video is more powerful than the verbal word. I think when you actually see a video, you are drawn more into it. So video sentencings have a lot of weight. They're kind of cutting edge. I know Ash is one of the ones at the forefront of that, but video sentences can be powerful. Make sure you show the court what you need to show. Make sure your video is clean, but I think it can be a very powerful tool if done correctly. If done incorrectly, it's going to hurt you, but if done correctly, it could be a great topic. I'm accused of CSC in Livingston County. I have not been charged yet. Any advice? Yeah, call Bill McQuarrie. If you're in Livingston County, um, Bill McQuarrie is who you should be calling. Maybe the best trial lawyer in the state, and he's the king of Livingston County. If I was charged with a crime in Livingston County, I would go to Bill McQuarrie. So look him up. But uh, Bill McQuarrie is a great option there for you. Good luck with that. Um, If it was anywhere else, I would tell you I'd be the option. But I think in Livingston, you want to go with Bill. Are reviews for lawyers accurate online? Well, that's a a good question. I get a lot of calls because of some of the reviews I got. Now, understand, there's something what we call um, haters. Hater is sometimes another lawyer that puts up false reviews about you. You got to be careful with that. If somebody only has positive reviews, it's probably bullshit. You're going to get some negative ones. I think the most ridiculous review I had was a one star from this A.S. (laughs) Macomb, And I represented his ex-wife. And I won her case. And it was a drug case. And he wrote in the review, this piece of shit got my baby mama off and she's a drug addict. That could be taken a few different ways. Anyway, with that being said, you know, I mean, you want a case, you got a bad review. In this field, reviews are very subjective. They're often very, there's a lot of bullshit that goes into reviews. I have tons and tons of great reviews online. I appreciate that, but don't believe every review you see, good or bad, about a lawyer. What advice would you have for a third-year law student? Okay, here's the deal. Your third year, you should be focused highly on bar prep. Do not do bar prep for 10 weeks. You should make it a whole year project. When you get to the third year, to use a baseball analogy, you're in a scoring position, okay? Okay. Um, your grades and your electives your last year are nowhere near as important as passing that bar. So you should start doing light bar prep. Hugh Reed's a great bar prepper, um, Reed Law Group. And he always used to tell us one point a day. If you look at the bar like one point a day, you will kill the bar exam. People fail the bar because they get overwhelmed. If you break it into small increments, and by doing that, give yourself more time. You know, and another thing, a lot of times I see is with people who have relationships in other states. If, let's take Cooley for example, if you've been successful at Cooley and you miss your loved one and you decide to move back to another state, you're doing yourself a disservice. So, third year law students, don't change what's been successful your first two years and start bar prep early. We can obviously talk a lot more, but that's what I would say for now. Does it bother you that you defend gangbangers? Does it bother you that you defend drug dealers? Does it bother you looking at the person you've become? Signed, your Ventnor baseball teammate. You didn't put a name down, like we had a number of assholes. He keeps saying, does it bother you, does it bother you? Does it bother you that your wife is probably more sexually aroused looking at my Google reviews and the two times a year, you f- her? I fight like hell for my clients. And I care for every client I have. So just because you read something on Google about them, you don't know a f- thing. And if it is the a- who I'm thinking it is, who lives five minutes from where he grew up, is he to have the balls to leave the state and take a real job, Anytime you want to do it, bro, you let me know. But no, it does not bother me being a criminal defense lawyer.
2: The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus & Amadeo. Connect with McManus & Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Bill Amadeo from McManus &
1: Amadeo and Grable & Associates. Let's start with that. And that's two firms where I have two full-time jobs. I know some people on the board of commissioners have a hard time with math, but we'll get to that a little bit later. So now we're going to discuss what's going on in Shiawassee County. And I get it. I live in Washington County and I'm an Italian guy from New Jersey. I'm not really one of Shiawassee's locals, but I do a lot of work in Shiawassee. And I consider Shiawassee my second home. So I want to, number one, speak to defend certain things in Shiawassee. And then number two, I want to speak to basically discuss some issues. And the Board of Commissioners has made a lot of drama of late. So I want to briefly explain my connection to the Board and people that I've been asked about and such and authorities that have questioned me on some things. I'm gonna go through a list I wrote down a list of a bunch of people in Shiawassee I'm going to give blurbs on and my opinions because there's a lot of drama. So on November 18th of 2020 our firm McMadison Amadeo we made a proposal To become the attorney for the board of commissioners out in shiawassee we made a very nice pitch basically we would do the job for 50 grand a year we would give ten thousand dollars back to the mental health court we'll talk about those guys later because the mental health court is near and dear to me so for 40 grand a year we were going to work in shiawassee now let me be clear on this because i heard a lot of things that we were doing this for a money grab. I have currently 245 active criminal cases, 86 are capital cases. And for a capital case, you're usually looking at 25K to start. So I make enough money to buy my whole Lego land or a bumper for my car if I want it to. So this was not an actual money grab. What this was, was a chance for my firm to put a young lawyer in Shiawassee to get experience. That's what the proposal was. And we were going to basically put a young lawyer there. I do a lot of criminal work in Chi-town. I'd be there periodically. We would rent office space. The office space we were looking at was probably like 800 to 1,000 a month. We were trying to break even and give back to the mental health court. That was the goal. And instead, the board secretly hired Ryan Painter for I believe 104 grand a year. Now, let's be clear, this is not exactly a heavy lifting job. So 104 grand a year for that position, that's insane. Ironically, it was the same amount of money Scott Corner, the county prosecutor gets, and that man doesn't sleep. So it was done behind closed doors. It was kind of a slap in the face to the prosecutor. But at the meeting I went to, I was met with hostility. And all I could say from the board members I talked to, other than Marlene Webster, was I thought they really wanted $10,000 to go to the mental health court because it seemed to me that many people on that board would be amazing applicants for the mental health court because all I saw was mental instability. Plowman was screaming that we didn't have a board of order. And I said to him, you could see it on YouTube, you got a problem? And he screamed, we got this problem going on and blah, blah, blah. And start counting his time, losing sleep over that Plowman, Jeremy Root just sat there, didn't say a word. And we basically made our pitch. And the only question we had was, why are there not open bids for this position? Now, here's where things got personal with the board and me. Judge Lestraca spoke. And Judge Lestracca is a man I admire greatly. He left. He retired right before I started doing heavy criminal law. So my sole experience in circuit court in Shiawassee has been with Judge Matthew Stewart. We'll talk about Judge Stewart later. But I have a lot of respect for Judge Lestraca. And I didn't like the way the board treated him. But the judge and I spoke afterwards, and the judge explained to me that the prosecutor's office should have the position that Ryan Painter had. And he explained how the process worked. At that point, I basically withdrew my interest because the judge, who is a Shiawassee local, explained to me why the prosecutor's office should have that position. That's good enough for me. Not only was our proposal dismissed, but the judge's words were thrown in the trash. The next day, they did this secret meeting or whatever, and I saw Jeremy Roode on YouTube pounding his gavel down was like this large mentally challenged man screaming at Marlene Webster that we're going to do things the right way. This is the way we do things in Shiawassee. And Marlene Webster looked terrified. Marlene Webster has more courage than anybody on that board. Let me be clear about that. I know Marlene from my time at the mental health court when I was the defense lawyer. A lot of respect for her. And she's dealing with a lot of drama there. And they basically tried to bully her that Ryan Painter was going to get this position. Now, at the time, I was kind of confused. Who is this guy, Jeremy Root? Other than some questionable driving things I've heard about the man, I don't know him. I know he makes 10 grand a year. I know he gave himself a $25,000 raise from the Hazard money, which is kind of bizarre. You go from 10 grand salary to a 250% bonus. I don't know what the hell that is. But I saw him screaming on YouTube and I emailed Root. I have the email saved and I said, do you want to talk one-on-one man-to-man? He didn't reply to me. I guess Root likes to flex his, I don't even want to use the term muscle, flex his, whatever, in front of women not men, but he wouldn't respond to me. And, uh, that was that. We moved on, and that was the end of it. So, now, time moves forward, this hazard pay hits. The world is watching, and the world is watching mainly because of the writing of Josh Champlain, who, in my opinion, is one of the best writers I've ever met, maybe the best writer in the state of Michigan. And Josh knows how to dig up a story. And he is digging and digging and digging. And what I could tell the people of Shiawassee is Josh Champlain is your source of news. And he is one of the most credible people I know. And if you cross Josh Champlain like this board has done for, and from a common sense perspective, why would you cross the press when he's the one relaying information to the outside world and he's trying to be fair? These people treat Josh like he's a nobody when he's got more power in his pen than they do in their whole board. So let's be clear about that. You've made an enemy of Josh, and Josh is just going to be objective and speak the truth. And unfortunately, guys, on the board, under the Marlee Webster, the truth is going to f*** you right now. You're under the national microscope for taking hazard pay. And you keep saying that Scott Corner was present. That's bullshit. Let me tell you, we'll talk about Scott Corner later, but... Let's not throw Scott Corner in the mix here. I'm gonna be real clear, I'm gonna go through a list of people, briefly. I'm gonna tell you my opinion of them, my experience with them. And let me say something. I am a criminal defense lawyer. I practice criminal law every single day of my life. I will be in the office till midnight tonight. My clients mean everything to me. With that being stated, if you compare results across the state, Shiawassee is one of the most difficult places to be a criminal defense lawyer, and here's a few reasons for that. Number one, smaller communities have more political pressure. It's just a state of fact. There's no way you can practice law the way you do in Wayne County or Washington County as the way you can in Shiawassee. It's a special language you need to learn. And I do not always get what I want in Shiawassee, but I'm going to be objective in my opinions of everybody in this. Okay, so number one, Shiawassee is a tough place to practice criminal. Number two, there is more social media drama in Shiawassee than there is in Detroit or Ann Arbor. If you breathe crooked in Shiawassee, it is posted on some Facebook message board. Let's be really clear about that. And number three, the people of the county of Shiawassee have been screwed over by this board for quite a while. And it's time for them to get off their ass and make some changes. The way you make changes is getting rid of the assholes. And if there's people that are not doing the right thing by funding, if there's people doing side deals, you need to address that, guys. And that is what Josh is doing. I will say this, there are some people that have looked at the board very closely. And some of these people have uncovered a lot of things within the county itself. And what I could say is this, if I was doing anything wrong in Shiawassee, I would be really careful right now. I don't have first hand knowledge of anything. Just like you guys, I read, I don't know. But if some of the stuff I read, if 25% of it is true, there are some people that have a lot of explaining to do. Now, since Shiawassee is under the microscope, I have a list of people that I will give my brief opinion of. I will explain my encounters with and we'll take it from there. I started tonight with questions about Questions about somebody who I, I consider a friend. And I guess W N E M had the story on Chris Brown today. You know, and I read Dana Nessel's comments. Mike P. texted me, and I think I had about six emails about it. Here's what I could say about that. Chris Brown, nobody sold him drinking and driving. For Dana Nestle to go on her high horse and make a comment about him in the media, she's trying to destroy this guy's life, that's bullshit. <laughs> bull I don't like the way this was handled with the media. I think there's clear arguments that I hope Chris will utilize. I think there's so many serious offenses out there that we need to keep an eye on. There's so many horror stories. You know, to come at Chris Brown the way that Chris Brown was come at today, it's just not cool. Judge Matthew Stewart. And this will sound weird coming from a criminal defense lawyer because he is a very difficult sentencer, but Judge Stewart is a man of complete integrity. He is somebody I've learned a lot from. He is somebody that cares about that community, and he's somebody that recused himself from all this drama because he knows we need objectivity in ruling on whatever's going on. Judge Stewart was instrumental in implementing the mental health court, the drug court, he's created specialty courts, and he's helped that community evolve during COVID, so I'm a huge fan of Matthew Stewart. Judge Stewart is a mentor of mine, will always respect him, and if you've ever seen him and I argue, I do not always agree with him, and he certainly does not agree with me, but there is not a better person to be on that circuit court bench than Judge Matthew Stewart. I did support Scott Corner in the election, and Scott Corner and I have been completely at odds over a number of cases. And the reason he and I are at odds over cases is because he's the fucking prosecutor and I'm a defense lawyer. And I wouldn't expect anything less. Scott Corner is a man of integrity. Even though we want to rip each other's throats out on some cases... He cares about that community unlike anybody else, and he's the reason, his integrity and his knowledge of the law, that's the reason Judge Stewart appointed him. I said during the election, if Robert hino Joza won, it would be good for Bill Amadeo. If Scott Corner won, it would be good for Shiawassee County. Because if you're a good criminal defense lawyer, there are ways to unwrap a case. You will lose sleep. You will bust your ass, but Corner is one of the most efficient men I've ever met. When people say, well, you get some great deals in Shiawassee. Well, one of the reasons I do get great deals in Shiawassee is because I outwork f***ing everybody. I need to know more about my case than the prosecutors do. Scott Corner had nothing to do with this bullshit. He's a good man, and he gets heat when he doesn't deserve it. I know that goes with the territory, but let's be real. You couldn't have a better prosecutor than Scott Corner. Marlene Webster. Marlene Webster has stood up for what's right. And my encounters with Marlene during my time in the mental health court, where she was a woman of integrity, she cared about the community. I imagine it's a lot of drama dealing with that board on a daily basis, but Marlene's trying to do the right thing. so for her okay heard some drama about chrissy lab what chrissy lab has done with that drug court is amazing that circuit court staff is tremendous i've had long talks with chrissy and chrissy really cares about that community she's not somebody anybody should bandmouth that circuit court is run in the most professional manner and i appreciate chrissy and Melissa Beer with, you know, the staff do not get a lot of credit. But I'll talk about Melissa and Greg Geeson for a moment. What happened in that circuit court during COVID is insane. How they kept the ships running is amazing. They were so far ahead ahead of the curve on Zoom. It was admirable. There were communities with much more resources that were not anywhere near as adept as Shiawassee was, so we owe them a debt of gratitude. If it wasn't for people like Melissa and Gregory, um, the court would really be falling behind, and it's not. Sari Colbry and Liz Brown, they do an amazing job with the specialty courts. And I mean, they'll be the first to tell you, I've applied before, I've had applicants apply before. That they've denied, and they look at every applicant in a fair and objective manner. They want to help those people that truly want to get helped. So even though we don't always see eye to eye, I respect them a great deal. Um, Doug Corwin and Amy Houston, what they've done at the Public Defender's Office is amazing because they were the first Public Defender's Office, and they inherited a lot of work. And I mention all these people in the court system to say that the bullshit from the board of directors has not spilled over into our court system. The Shiawassee court system has been run in an amazing way. It's overcome COVID. It's overcome national drama. Ships kept running. That in my opinion, is the state of Shiawassee. I'm rooting for Shiawassee, but I do think as amazing as our court system and prosecutors and defense lawyers are, there are some cancers over at that board and the board should not have the power they do. I don't understand how there could be brilliance in our judicial system and so much dysfunction a block away. Okay. I'm Bill Amadeo. I approve this.